The Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast is sponsored by U.S. Bank. Embracing what makes us unique creates more possibilities for all. Learn more at usbank.com diversity. U.S. Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Here are a few messages from the forum before we start the show. If you enjoy the forum podcast, check out our interactive webinar series, which returns April 23rd. Learn more about April's webinar and register at forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash webinar. Registration is free. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion webinar series are free monthly webinars offering professional and organizational skill building opportunities in diversity, equity, and inclusion topics featuring presenters from industries around the globe. The Forum's webinar series is sponsored by Aon. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Healing for the Helpers, Unpacking Symptoms of Professional Fatigue and Stress with presenter Kamila Howard of We Are Divine Consulting. I'm Ben Rue, Program Coordinator here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. In our daily lives, most people work an average of 40 40 plus hours a week. Consider the average amount of hours worked and add work-related stress, deadlines, interpersonal conflict, disgruntled employees, and lack of professional fulfillment. You are now saturated in toxicity. In this podcast, participants will get an opportunity to recognize signs of professional burnout and process the impact of daily stress. Participants will be able to process the question, how do I respond to stress? What do I need to show up as my best self? Have I established healthy boundaries and created strategies for self-compassion? Kamila Howard is the founder and lead consultant of We Are Divine Consulting. Ms. Howard is a licensed mental health practitioner that is certified in a range of evidence-based practices and training methodologies. She received her graduate degree from the University of Minnesota with special emphasis on cultural studies, family systems, leadership, and direct clinical behavior health. She has over 15 years of result-driven experience as a leader developing innovative programs that cultivate communities and create culturally responsive practice. Her experience-based learning assesses one's readiness for change, increases personal accountability, dismantles barriers, and builds intercultural relations. She believes in making a difference one day at a time. Without further ado, I would like to hand things over to Cammie. Hello, and welcome to my podcast session on healing for the helpers. I'm excited in these next 30 minutes to be able to share with you my personal and professional experience of overcoming adversity, stress, and professional fatigue. As mentioned, I am the founder, president, and lead consulting of We're Divine. We're Divine is a lead agency in supporting the growth and development of individuals and organizations working through adversity and personal satisfaction. We're Divine's goal is to help people with their capacity for holding space for difficult conversations and creating a supportive space to talk about differences and discover our commonalities. I would like to start this session today to be able to put us in a space of sitting with being in the moment. If we can all take a few minutes to think about what are some things that we need to park, put to the side, or dump in order to be fully effective, reflective, and present for our next 30 minutes. Again, I want us to think for a few seconds, what are the things that we need to do to dump, park, or put to the side to be fully present, effective and reflective for our next 
30 minutes. As we started, I wanted you to think for a few seconds of things that you need to do to be able to dump, park, or put to the side to be fully present, effective, and reflective. Why is this important? In our daily lives, we spend so much time going from task to task, duty to duty, deadline to deadline, with little time for self. And we often miss the time and moments to be still. There's power in stillness. How often do we take the time to slow down and just be in the moment? Are there things that we are missing in life because we are focused on our next tasks or duties? During the next 30 minutes, we're going to talk about various symptoms and stages of development in recognizing adversity and stress throughout your body and being involved in various environments and toxic relationships. I want to start off by saying, majority of the time when we're experiencing adversity and stress, as professionals, we often minimize our impact of stress or adversity. There are often defensive mechanisms that we use and they can show up as denial or normalizing the experiences of facing stress and adversity. Many of us work with individuals and organizations and industries that are very demanding. And so oftentimes we don't have time to slow down and be in tune to our own stress levels nor do we have the capacity to recognize when we are under stress. I've had a wonderful mentor in my life, Dr. Ann Garrity out of the University of Minnesota, who said a wonderful quote that has always stuck with me. She said, we often do not need to figure out what the stress or trauma is, but the necessary event, but we only need to be aware of how the stress and trauma impact our ability to be present. How are we interpreting and experiencing the adversity and the stress that we go through and that we are exposed to on a daily basis? Sometimes our ability and capacity to survive through adversity and the stress can also be a symptom of a syndrome. Beyond not having a conscious recognition of how stress shows up in our day-to-day lives and in our bodies and how we experience it, Oftentimes, we don't have a definition for stress. According to Medical Plus Line and other national researchers in this area, stress is a feeling of emotional or physical tension. It can come from an event, series of events, or exposure to adversity. Stress makes you feel frustrated, angry, or nervous. Stress can be very uncomfortable and it can be impacting your psychological perception and your bodily response and your day-to-day reactions. Stress is not always bad though. Stress is a normal feeling. It's your body's reaction to challenges or demands. And in short bursts, stress can be very positive. There are various types of stress that I wanna talk about for a few seconds. One type of stress is called tolerable stress. Tolerable stress is just enough stress to be able to get by. The importance of tolerable stress is it gives us the ability to problem solve and learn how to work through different adversities that are manageable in our lives. Without having any exposure to tolerable stress, individuals may not be able to have the capacity to hold uncomfortable abilities, adversities that they may face, and won't build a threshold for working through conflict. The other types of stress are called acute and chronic stress. Acute stress is the most most common stress that we all have been able to be impacted from. This is a short-term stress that usually goes away with some kind of coping mechanisms or a plan to build your capacity and compassion for self. Acute stress are those usually one-time incidences that has happened in your life and that you're able to overcome it with minimum adversity and impact and long-term effects. 
The next type of stress is episodic acute stress. This happens when acute stress happens frequently over the course of time. Have you ever met an individual that always seems like they seem to worry? That they're hypervigilant, that they can't relax, that they're always on edge? Are you a person that people have called worry words? Episodic acute stress happens to individuals with little to none interventions to be able to disrupt the cycles of stress. And the third category of stress is chronic stress. As one of my mentors would say, chronic stress is too much stress over too much time with too little help. Chronic, chronic stress, and often interchanged as complex stress, is the acute stress that's unresolved. It begins to increase and have long-lasting periods and an impact of you over time. This stress is constant, and it doesn't go away on its own. Acute stress can stem from various impacts and environmental exposures, such as chronic poverty, dysfunctional family and relationships, toxic work environments, other various health diseases and illnesses, risk of suicide, and various adversities that individuals may be impacted from. Now, remember I said stress is not always bad. And under pressure, stress can motivate us to be our best selves. Have you ever been exposed to an emergency and all of a sudden you get this adrenaline in your body? And there's a strength that comes about you that you don't know where it came from. Well, that's our stress response kicking in. And stress, that type of stress is often here to protect us. When we think about stress and our response to stress, there's three ways that our body responds to stress. It's called fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, flight, or freeze are the three stress, stress responses and it helps our body's way of protecting ourselves. But what happens when our body continues to operate out of fight mode? or flight mode, or freeze mode. I wanna give you some examples and definitions of what a stress response of fight, flight, and freeze may look like. Fight mode, hyperactivity, verbal aggressions. These often are symptoms of behaviors of feeling very anxious, of feeling upset, Sometimes individuals that have a constant state of fight mode, the thoughts are, I'd rather get you first before you get me. And oftentimes when I'm working with individuals in fight mode, the anticipation of something happening is worse than something happening. Have you worked with clients, individuals, family members that say no before they say yes? That seem very difficult to be able to get along with. Well, these individuals are experiencing a stress response of fight mode, flight mode. The second response to stress. Flight mode characteristics often look like individuals that are withdrawn, socially isolated. They may seem to avoid certain situations or relationships. Their inability and capacity to hold space for being uncomfortable. And then there's freeze. The mental health termination for freeze is disassociation. Freeze mode is often the most misunderstood mode. As a person that is experiencing freeze mode has the inability to escape from danger physically. Their body is presently there, but they're mentally checked out. Understanding how our body responds to stress fight, flight, or freeze, will get us a better capacity to be able to deal with the day-to-day -day stressors that we all experience. I wanna switch our conversation to a moment to what is the history and the underlying roots and causes of stress? There was a study done in the 90s called Adverse Childhood Experiences done by Center for Disease Control in collaboration with Kaiser Pumanti. 
what was relevant about this profound study is that they were able to connect the impact that adversity and being impacted by stress and other adversal factors before the age of 18 and the likelihood that individuals as an adult will be impacted by negative social outcomes and medical ailments. It was interesting to find out that at one time in your life, if you were exposed to, for example, a member of your household being incarcerated or impacted by a mental illness, crime in your community, alcoholism, drug abuse, your increased likelihood for diabetes, obesity, depression, chronic drinking, and other social health outcomes, negative outcomes, have increased and will increase. There is a book called The Body Keeps the Score, written by Bessel van der Kolf. In this book, he talks about the connection of stress in your body. That stress raises our levels of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Oftentimes, when we're not acknowledging the impact of stress that we've gone through, or we don't have a conscious awareness, our body will tell us differently. I personally have experienced this throughout my lifetime. I've worked mainly in the social services area. I worked a lot with communities that have been impacted by historical oppression, poverty, violence. I've worked with organizations and professionals that are in high demand. And I've learned that I've internalized a lot of the stress that not only my clientele, but that the work that I did. And this was done through my body. About two years ago, a personal story that I'd like to share, I realized that I, I was impacted by severe arthritis. And during that time, I was told that not only did I need a full shoulder replacement, but that my knee also needed to be replaced. I was in my mid thirties. And just to hear such, some, such detrimental health ailments in such a young person, I didn't understand why. I oftentimes didn't feel sick, but I also didn't know that the exposure of the work that I was doing had such a detrimental impact on my health. So much that I got a full shoulder replacement this past April, and I'm waiting this summer to get a full knee replacement. If we don't recognize the symptoms of stress, if we don't recognize the adversity and the contributions of the field that we're in and the daily demands of toxic stress, our body will tell us differently. Sometimes we hold the stress in our bodies, or other times we might hold the stress in our brains. When we are under stress, the front part of our brains likes to shut down. That's the frontal lobe. It's our thinking part of their brain. It's the part of our brain where we can access our logical thinking, where our memory is stored, where our cognitive abilities are. It's our moral judgment. And under stress, that part of the brain shuts down. So stress not only affects our ability to build positive relationships, but it affects our entire body. Stress affects our brain, our memory, our concentration. It affects our health. There are various contributions to adversity and stress. I want to talk about a few that I've personally experienced and also contributions to stress that happen in the workplace. I've mentioned that we may have worked in more demanding environments. As a therapist working with clients exposed to various types of chronic stress and trauma, healing, hearing traumatic stories day after day with little or no intervention or plan 
for self-care. Another contribution to work-related stress is a term that I like to call race-related trauma or racially revoked PTSD. A common definition of that is racial trauma can result from major experiences of racism in the workplace, such as workplace discrimination, microaggressions, invalidations, or insults. Individuals that are representing or represent a marginalized and historically oppressed group often experience racialized trauma in work environments. I personally have experienced an abundance of racialized trauma, microaggression, and microinvalidations that's contributed to the adversity that I've faced as a professional. Our ability to deal with these stressors has to come from the inside, as oftentimes our environments are not aware that they are the triggers of our stress. So I want us to think for a few minutes and ask yourself, who shows up under stress? What does that look like? How do you know that you are under stress? How do you manage stress? There's an activity that I often like to do that helps build your self-awareness for understanding and recognizing triggers, hot buttons, and behaviors that causes you stress. I want you to think about for a minute, what are some behaviors that push your buttons? What are the feelings when you're faced with these behaviors or characteristics or triggers? How have these triggers, hot buttons, what I like to call them, impact your feelings and the ability to have stable, regulated relationships? How has stress personally impacted your ability to show up as your best self? Gaining a better understanding of our stressors, our hot buttons, and our triggers allows us to build self-awareness. And once we have an ability to know who shows up under stress, we can build on controllability. If we can predict it, we can control it. My goal in building self-awareness is creating an opportunity to repair, recover, and reset. How can we create supportive opportunities to prepare damaged relationships, damage that we've experienced from adversity and hardship, trauma that we may have overcame or not have, or that's unresolved from childhood experiences? How can we recover and build a sense of self? And how can we reset and start our journey to healing? These are all very important aspects of being in tune to recognizing symptoms of adversity, stress, and unresolved trauma. On the website, there will be a handout for an activity and a self-screening called Burnout Self-Assessment. As you look through this burnout self-assessment, I want you to think about your day-to-day -day interactions as a professional working in various disciplines. I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself, honestly, are you in a profession where you feel emotionally drained? Do you feel frustrated? at your work? Do you feel that individuals have more demand on you and drain your cup more than fill it out? Do you feel a sense of helplessness and hopelessness in your work and your profession? Are you tired and drained? At the end of your work day, do you feel depleted? Have you became more insensitive when interacting with individuals? What does burnout look like for you? Burnout is about being worn out and it can affect anybody. 
Burnout happens gradually over time and is directly linked to stressors within your work and personal life. Burnout impacts your passion, drive, and oftentimes your enthusiasm is stripped away. Things that used to give you joy no longer gives you joy. There's also a term called compassion fatigue. Similar to burnout, compassion, happen, compassion fatigue happens over time. Compassion fatigue is defined as the emotional residue of being exposed to work or working with individuals that's impacted by trauma, traumatic events, chronic stress, and adversity. Compassion fatigue is the gradual lessening of compassion over time, a preoccupation of observing trauma and the emotional stressors of others. I want you to ask yourself, do any of these symptoms resonate with you? What does burnout and compassion fatigue mean for you? What does that look like? Are you able to recognize the signs and symptoms in self? Do you find joy in the work that you do? Or do you feel like exhausted and completed? Another term is secondary trauma. Secondary trauma is the emotional and psychological effects experienced through indirect exposure to traumatic experience and stress of others. Secondary trauma mimics the symptoms of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Let's think about some of these symptoms. Do you notice an increase of arousal? Do you worry a lot? Have you experienced changes in your perception or your sense of self? Do you replay events throughout your day over and over again in your mind? Are you an individual that has difficulty retaining information? Have you recently noticed that you have unrealistic reactions to situations that previously would have not bothered you as before? Are you feeling panic attacks, increased heart rates? PTSD symptoms derive from secondary stress and trauma. And this too can be impacted by any individual experiencing burnout, compassion fatigue, and is at a, in, in an industry that is in high demand and or working with clientele, communities, and individuals that are impacted by adversity and stress. Other symptoms of stress that we often do not realize is perfectionism. Perfectionism is a symptom of stress, burnout, and compassion fatigue. Are you an individual that needs to have things in order and control? Do you need to be more right than wrong? Are you an individual that has an impaired sense of making decisions? Have you avoided clients lately? Have you distanced yourself from work environments and became insensitive to some of the individuals that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis? Feeling of professional hopelessness and powerlessness happens oftentimes than we think in many professionals. And the more that we recognize these symptoms of stress, adversity, such as perfectionism, need for order control, PTSD related symptoms, avoidance of clients and feeling of hopelessness, the more able we'll be able to process and build capacity for creating a plan for taking care of stress. The last contribution of stress, adversity, professional fatigue that I would like to go over is a term called workplace bullying.
I know this is something that we often think happens in adolescence or with individuals that get hazed in the college area. But I wanna tell you that workplace bullying, peer-to-peer bullying happens on the job more often than that we think. There's an article written by Collins called Bullying in Social Services and Bullying in Social Workers. In this article, it is stated that on any job, situations and opportunities for power and control can cause the emergence of behaviors that mimic and look like bullying. I want you to ask yourself and think about, have you experienced bullying in the workplace? Have you experienced workplace discrimination? Are you the bully? Some characteristics of bullying in the work environment are being overtalked, undervalued, loss of a voice, interference for tasks and roles, making decisions without your input when others are asked for theirs. Workplace bullying may show up as microaggressions, microinsults, verbal thefts, personal attacks. Workplace bullying can become toxic to your ability to regulate. Workplace bullying is also a contribution to some negative social outcomes. Thinking about workplace bullying and your interactions with others, colleagues, clients, have you been bullied or are you the bully? Workplace bullying is a direct effect of toxic work stress and professional fatigue. And if we don't understand the impact of toxic stress and professional fatigue, we become bullies to individuals in our work environment, in our peers. And that contributes to organizational toxic work stress. Our jobs should fulfill our greatest capacity. It should be an fulfillment. We spent eight to 12 hours a day working. It should be something that we enjoy showing up to. But if we walk through the doors of our organization or interact with our clients and we feel depleted, this is a sign that you need to create a plan for compassion, self-care, and that you yourself may be impacted and show a characteristics of fatigue and burnout. So the question I want you to ask yourself is, what's your capacity? What's your capacity to hold? What's your capacity to hold stress? What's your capacity to hold discomfort? Have you created a plan for self-care? Are you aware of symptoms of stress and trauma? Do you know your triggers, hot buttons, or characteristics that contribute to you not showing up as your best self? Take a few minutes to be able to reflect. Can you recognize when you have faced various circumstances and challenges in your professional work environment? Can you recognize bullying characteristics in yourself and others? Are you experiencing the characteristics of operating in chronic stress or toxic work environments? And what do you need to build yourself back up to become the person that enjoys and feels fulfillment on a daily basis? Overcoming adversity, stress, professional fatigue, 
and toxic work environments has to start from a place of healing. And that healing must happen from the root. The work that we do is hard enough. And oftentimes in order to survive various disciplines and work environments, we spend a lot of time suppressing our emotions. And the longer that we suppress our emotions, they become stuck, a shadow of our past. In order to come that, overcome that, we must heal from the root. We must find the ability to release our stuck emotions so that they no longer become shadows of our past, but they're at our forefront. And when they're at our forefront, having the ability and a plan to process, talk about, and work through those emotions will be a beginning and start to your healing and process. Part of healing is being able to let go of things from the past that has held us back. There is an individual in Houston, Texas by the name of Pastor Don Gray. And he talks often about being a barrier of our own progress. Remember now I said healing must start from the root. But in order to do that, we have to have an honest conversation with self. And oftentimes we don't have the conscious awareness that self can be our worst enemy. I want you to take a few seconds to think about, are you or have you become a barrier to your own healing? Are there things in the past and situations that you've been exposed to that you need to let go? What's holding you back? How can you move on if you can carry these invisible chains into every environment that you walk into? Are you capable of healing, but overly impacted by your circumstances? Another quote from Pastor John Gray, he would often say, the worst prisons were the prisons that we have the keys to, meaning we often have the capacity and the ability to heal and overcome the stress that we've been exposed to, but we've been so used to being in a state of survival that we don't know our own strength. In order for you to elevate, you need to be able to release those stuck emotions, the relationships, the tasks, the duties and demands that has held you down for so long. I want you to take a few minutes to think about what is something that you need to break away from? What are chains of the past that are holding you back from growing and growing, going into being your best self? What do you need to let go? Are there invisible chains that you don't are not consciously aware of that you're bringing into every relationship, new job, environment? Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's unforgiveness. Sometimes it's self. Writing a list of chains, dilemmas, and things that are holding you back will help you become consciously aware of being stuck. And it'll give you the ability to heal from the root as mentioned earlier. Please take a few minutes to write a list of things that you need to break through, chains of the past, characteristics of stress and trauma that you want to let go. Now that we have this list, I wanna give you the opportunity to break free. 
Today is your moment to let go of those chains. I want you to repeat after me. Today, I am breaking my chains of the past. Today, I am breaking the chains of fear. Today, I am breaking the chains of unforgiveness. Today, I am breaking the chains of unfulfillment, of work-related stress, of toxic relationships, environments, financial constraints. Today, I choose me. Today, I am letting go. Today, I am free. Rip the piece of paper up in as many pieces as you can and throw it down and let it go. Let it go. For there is only one of you and that one of you is irreplaceable. That one of you is so precious. That one of you needs to fill your cup up with self-love, self-determination, and self-compassion. That one of you needs to get back to that place of peace. Reclaim your time and your position where you were at before you became the stressful, burnt out, fatigued individual. This is your time and your opportunity to break free. Now that you are free, let's spend some time to build back up. Let's spend some time to fill that cup back up. What do you envision for yourself? Take time to create a sustainable plan that you can see clarity for your life moving forward that you are no longer holding the chains of your past. What does a new healthy version of you look like? How can you be purposeful and intentional and walking in your purpose? What legacy do you wanna leave? What mark? What does the fulfillment look like for you? This is your time to fill your cup up. But in order to do that, we must remember our greatest avenue for change is ourself and that we are in control. And as long as that we are in control, we can, can create a plan for making a difference. So ask yourself, what do you need to show up as your best self? After you created a plan, I want you to think about for a moment the definition of self-care. Many of us turn, throw the terms around, but we often don't know what that really means. If I asked you, do you take care of yourself? Most of you would say, of course I do. But when I asked, in what ways do you take care of yourself? Well, let's see. That's a little hard. We spend majority of our life taking care of others and we forget the most important person ourselves. What happens when our cup is filled? What happens when our sponge is full? Self-care is about wringing out that sponge so I can get back to its effective self. Without self-care, we're like a balloon that continues to put air and more air and more air and more air in it. And what eventually happens to that balloon? It pops. Self-care is an activity that we do deliberately for self and not others. It helps our mental, emotional, 
and physical health. Self-care is about psychological, emotional, spiritual, social, and professional well-being. Self-care can look like personal activities as such as meditation, exercise. But most importantly, self-care can be done as a group. As a leader in a lot of my professions, I created a compassionate care plan for staff members in my organization. One example of that is creating a Zen experience. The word Zen itself derives from a Japanese um, emphasizing, Japanese term emphasizing the value of meditation and calmness and stillness. Creating a Zen experience will help you feel a sense of peacefulness, relaxation, creating a calm sense of self and a peace of mind. A Zen experience can be created in rooms that you can create if you have extra office space. Adding various sensory integration tools such as sounds, soft sounds of water that are soothing, aromas, soft lighting and seating, but most importantly, the Zen experiences has to happen in self. Beyond self-care, I want you to think about how and what ways have you shown or can you show self-compassion? Online, there's a handout that helps you be able to be more in tune to what does self-compassion look like and creating a plan for building self-compassion on a day-to-day basis. When you think about the words self-compassion, you're responding from a place of kindness and understanding for self. You're gentle to self, giving yourself permission to make those mistakes. When we focus on self-compassion, I want you to think about being your whole authentic self. Are you allowed to bring your authenticity into your work environment, your work relationships, personal relationships? Who is your whole self? Being your whole self and showing up as your authentic self is such an important aspect of someone showing self-compassion. It allows you to build resilience and increase those protective factors so that the risk factors of adversity and the stress that you face don't supersede your ability to take care of self. I want to help you build self-compassion and self-care. I want you to think about for a moment, these past few days in your professional life, personal work experience, what was your physical space, mental space? What did you do for self? How did you show compassion for self? Were you in a physically and emotionally supportive environment or was it draining? Can you practice gentleness and grace with self? Do you feel valued and heard in your current position? Are you able to fill your cup up and be gentle, kind, and caring, nurturing self just as much as you nurture others? One of the difficult things that we often face is the guilt of selfishness. But if you can't take care of self, the ability to take care of others will be stopped. We're gonna close our time today to talk about a few more other ways that you can build self-care and self-compassion. Meditation. Meditation is often done in various ways, 
There's reflective, mindfulness meditation, and concentrative meditation. Reflective meditation is that disciplined thinking. It's a type of meditation is when you think of a certain place, a theme, and you're really focused on it. You're taking your mind into a different world so that you can block out what's currently impacting you. Mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness meditation is the most common meditation that we often think of. It's the process of bringing attention to one's experiences and being in the moment. Mindfulness is not about relaxation, but it's about stillness and slowing down the process of what it's like to stop and take time of being in the moment. And then there's concentrative meditation. The power of concentration to build our capacity to overcome distraction and sustain mental focus. We are going to take a few minutes to practice mindful meditation and spend our last few minutes of this time being able to practice and integrate mindful meditation, affectionate breathing, and compassion in order to fill our cup. you to put yourself in a quiet, comfortable place. If you're able to do it physically, please adjust your body in a relaxation state. And mentally, think about a place of peace, A place of silence, a place of stillness. Today, we are focusing on self. Today, we are building self-compassion. As we listen to the sounds, I need you to let go of whatever burdens that you're carrying and gently close your eyelids or partially close them, whichever makes you more comfortable. If you wish, place your heart over your hand. Again, whatever makes you more comfortable, but remind yourself that you're not only bringing attention to self, but you're bringing kindness and love and stillness. As we listen to the sounds, I want you to breathe in and out. In and out allowing your chest to rise, allowing your body to breathe. Notice how you are feeling relaxed and gentle. Where is your place of peace? Notice yourself letting go of the stress that your body has held. Your muscles are relaxed. Your body is loose. And this is time for self. Practice breathing in and out. In and out. And just for this moment, be still.
slowly breathe in and out. As I count to 10, you're going to open up your eyes. And as you open up your eyes, you're going to remember today you put you first. Today you build self love, self compassion. Today is about you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Please open your eyes. I really want to thank you guys for spending the time today to be able to have an opportunity to not only think about the sources and symptoms of our stress and trauma, the adversity that we face in our personal relationships, but also the adversity that we face in our professional day-to-day -day lives. Remember that there's one of you and that taking care of you is the best thing that you can do in order to take care of others. Online, I'll provide you with various activities for deep breathing, the science behind deep breathing, and other ways to not only take care of self through self-care, but strategies for self-compassion. If you're doing this activity and listening to this podcast as a group, one way to build daily self-care and ongoing support is to find a compassionate care plan that works for your organization. An idea of that is providing a space for reflective consultation and ongoing support where individuals in the work environment are able to think about what they're experiencing in their day-to-day -day interactions with clients, self. What are those daily environmental demands? What are the stressors and hot buttons? What do you need to show up as your best self? It also gives you the opportunity to ask, am I allowed to bring my whole authentic self into every environment that I go into? This time should just be put aside for staff. No tactical work duty should be done. No meetings should be taken, but only a short time done on a regular basis that you're able to understand the meaning of what's it like to be that individual. I want to end this podcast with two quotes, one by Steve Jobs. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. The only way to do great work is to love what you do. Steve Jobs. And the last quote is by Jill Taylor, to experience peace does not mean that your life is always blissful. It means that you are capable of tapping in and into a blissful state of mind amidst the normal chaos of hectic life. There is un only one you, and I want the, you to be the difference that makes a difference, not only in others, but in self. Thank you for listening and attending Healing for the Helpers by Kamila Howard, we're Divine Consulting. Continue to have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Kamila, for that thoughtful and transformative podcast. And thank you listeners for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about stress, professional fatigue and healing, please feel free to contact Kamila directly at khoward at wearedivine.com or visit her website, wearedivine.com. That's www.we-r-e D-I-V-I-N-E.com. To listen to this podcast and others from the series, visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org backslash podcast. And you can also subscribe uh, or listen at 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Anchor. Once again, thank you so much, Kamila, and thank you, listeners. And th- uh, we hope you'll join us for future podcasts. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.